Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner. Alongside me today are Chris Legg and Chris Sherrod. And we have a special guest in the uh, in the studio with us today because we and we'll we'll introduce him in a minute. Um, but today we are continuing our conversation on the beauty and the tragedy of the church, and so kind of unpacking how we can experience in the church really wonderful things and really difficult things. Yep. yep. What's the old um, DC talk? The beginning of that. The main reason. Or the lead cause oh, of yeah. atheism in the world is people who confess, confess Jesus with their lips, but turn around and walk out the door, but deny him with their lives. Yeah, yeah. That was actually professing with Ted their lips. Bundy. Ted deny. Bundy said that in an interview. Oh wow! Yeah, I think with James Dobson. Goodness gracious! Interesting. Um, and so that idea that people run into Christians, and when Christians don't uh, aren't kind, aren't generous, aren't gentle, don't treat them the way. Christ instructs us to treat people mm-hmm. that they become disillusioned with right. Christ, not just with Christians. And and we talked about last time how it's pretty important to be disillusioned with Christians. Right. I mean, that's an important part of our Christian walk is to become disillusioned with Christians and Christian leaders and all that and recognize that's, as, as Chris Sherrod said, it's a confirmation of the gospel, not a denial of the right. gospel, that I need a Savior too. Exactly, um, and then we so unpack some, word. yeah, of the hypocrisy and stuff like that. So if exactly. you haven't, if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, give that a listen. Yeah, that'll help. Um, yeah. But yeah, but so throwing it over to Chris Leg though. Yeah, can you introduce our special guest and kind of what what this or what what yeah. brought this about? One of the things I want us to do periodically when we get a chance is we when we have someone who's a good example of something. And I talked about even myself having worked in like seven churches, experienced some of the worst stuff in life in church or with church people yeah, um, or with other Christians for sure. And so, but I feel like I'm a little bit of a, of a good witness to say you don't have to walk away from the faith, even though you've become disillusioned with people in the church. And, uh, and a great, another great example of that is um, our lead worship pastor here at the church, John, uh, John Noble Redvern junior junior. And, uh, and John's a good example. I asked a couple of the staff members about this, and one of the other staff members really, really wisely said, hey, I've only really worked in a couple of churches. If I start commenting on the bad things I've experienced in the church, there are going to be people out there who know what I'm talking about and who I'm talking about. And so she was uncomfortable doing that. And so John's... I just don't care. Right, exactly. <laughs> and John's John's history is much further back than that, Right, being raised by a pastor. And so... It would be easy for the child of think of the child of most pastors to to be disillusioned with the church and to be disillusioned with Christian people because right. of the things they've experienced. It's one of the marks of being a PK. It really is, and an MK, and a missionary kid. And right. and John and I were talking at lunch. John is my boss. If, if anybody's listening, uh-uh. knows, John is my boss. Full disclosure. And, yeah, right. full disclosure. Um, and we were just talking about okay, how long have you been in full time quote unquote ministry? And so. What were your, what 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 was your answer? It was like, well, yeah, technically, technically, I've only been a full time minister 
like paid to be a full-time minister for seven years. Um, I've always worked for a ministry though. And before I worked for a ministry, I was always in, in a ministry. Um, I grew up in the church. I was on the, um, bed baby roll wherever dad was. Um, well, I was on the bed baby roll in Amarillo, but, um, always there and we were always always there for whatever was going on it was it was a um, it's as my dad put it to one of my sisters recently it's what we do um <laughs> right. when talking about how many services we were going to be going to for around the christmas holidays yeah and i was like i mean yeah to an extent but um it it, it was when we were growing up for sure we were always at the church and um in fact the first time that i <laughs> the first time that i got Taken to church, I was uh, left at church. <laughs> dad, dad forgot me. <laughs> oh, funny. The ladies in the nursery came running out with me, like, "Do you want this one too?" <laughs> anyway, that was his big chance. That was his big chance to walk Make away. A break. He made a break for it. But some, but for somebody who has been involved in the church for a long period of time, yeah. we were excited to to kind of continue this conversation. Here, here's a question I'm, I'm I want to hear from you about is. What's the um gosh, what's the earliest example that you can remember of of a sense of being hurt by or resentful in or resentful of or whatever the church? Um I remember Again, being no no names. Yeah, no, I remember being uh <laughs> unless it's me, you can drop mine. No. You weren't you weren't around. I for wasn't this around part. yet that part. Um you were just a snot nosed kid in Nacogdoches at the time. That's right. Um I remember being, it had to be early grade school, um, and I was, uh, there's a couple things. Um, one of them was, there. They were. it was the same comment, so that's kind of funny, but one of them was, um, uh, I was, I was wearing shorts in the um, sanctuary, um, and I got, stopped by an older man and he said you should know better um and i was like i have no idea what he's talking about (laughs) um but i remember like you know when he was pointing out that i was wearing shorts at church that this was a really bad thing and that i should know better and i was like "I, i don't really understand like how me being the pastor's son means that i should know that i'm not supposed to wear shorts and the other one was that, you know, I was, uh, I, I was a brat. Um, I was a, I was a little kid. I was a, um, kid trying to figure out how to be a kid and, uh, being the pastor's son meant everybody knew who I was. Um, so that kind of makes you just in general, the, I don't know if it makes you the brat, but it, it, it can engender that like everybody knows who I am mentality. Um, and I was running through the hall, our, the, the church that I grew up in had a, just a ginormous hall. It was just one long hall mm, perfect um, for running in. I mean, it was just a track. I mean, and the thing had to be <laughs> over, um, a hundred yards long. Um, I, I don't know. Dad's better at that type of thing than me, but, um, it was really long. And as a kid, it was really long and I would run down that hallway um, as fast as I could. And when people were in the hallway, I would just dodge them. Right. Perfect. Um, and 
I remember one of my favorite things to do was to run along the hallway and put my hand on the, um, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The stuff on the side, the, on the drywall, the texture on the mm-hmm, drywall. Mm-hmm. And it was rough. And I would run my hand along that as I was running and it would make my fingers numb. And I loved that <laughs> I feeling. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. That's good. And I was dodging people one time and got too close to someone. Um, and I'm very sure like could have knocked somebody down. I understand why, why there was frustration at that point. But I remember being yelled at and scolded because of not because and it wasn't what it felt like was that it wasn't that I was doing something wrong. It was that I was doing something wrong and I was the pastor's son. And I remember being like, I don't understand why this is a thing. Like why, why am, why am I being singled out inside of that? And there's all kinds of like stories along the way, but those are probably like the youngest that I can remember is this Mm. like, uh, you, you should know better mentality and somehow me being the pastor's son meant that I was supposed to have the Bible memorized by now. Especially the part that talks about not Not wearing shorts, not wearing shorts and not not running in the church. I mean, obviously those are pretty clear passages. (laughs) Well, and to me, like for a while there, honestly, I kind of thought they were like, I I thought that I would be able to find that in the Bible. Um, and I looked and it's not there, guys. It'd be funny if you went back now and it's the hallway's only like twenty yards. <laughs> no, I yeah. But as I, a kid, you think I it's have like driven forever. by it. It's still a big church, yeah. but it is not nearly as big as it was in my mind. Yeah. And they've redone all of it, and it's as my wife would tease me. I say all the time, it's just not at all like what it used to be. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was trying to imagine a hallway as long as a football field in your church. Just saying. That's that's a long that's a long hallway, but it doesn't, it's a. At some point, we'll drive by it and we'll have to go check that out. You can you can see whether or not we can just, we can run sprints. In oh, it. We can we'll, bring we'll, we'll bring a tape measure exactly, and we'll see. But yeah, Dad, but that's a no, good. Dad's not listening. That's a good example. So I would. It it is intriguing to me how many of us have a rough relationship with the church starting in childhood. Yeah. That that that's a, a, I think an error that a lot of churches make is, is that they make it a tough, a tough experience for kids. Primarily that kids aren't supposed to be kids. Yeah. Again, it's not. And, and the response, it's interesting the way you're saying it, especially as the pastor's son, that it's not just, you know, someone sits down, someone stopped you and sat down with you and said, Hey bro, I know you're not, buddy, I know you're not thinking about this, but you might, you might think about this or you might, like it, it is a, it's an a, it's hey, an assumption of this is rebellious yeah. not being a kid yeah and i was like i mean my it's not like my mom didn't see me before i left the house that day and i was young enough where she brought me to church right like i don't the whole thing felt very much like i i just got convicted of something and i have no idea how that happened mm. Um, and I remember like, there was just a lot of that. I remember when we, uh, growing up, um, uh, one time I answered the phone, I was in the middle of an argument. Now, you know how everybody like in the middle of an argument, they can like turn off that voice when the phone rings and yeah. you know, kids, yes. this was back when the phone was attached <laughs> to the wall. Yeah. So you, you, everybody knows you're like yelling at somebody and then you answer the phone like, hello, how can I help you? Like, I mean, like you're, you're 
just everything disappears when you answer the phone. And I didn't have that. I was um, curious. I was like, do, were you able to switch No, I, I don't have that particular talent. So I yelled into the phone when I picked it up. And this was when I was older, for sure. Um, uh, but it wasn't a... It, the sentiment was there like throughout my childhood. Like, um, not only was I like scolded for yelling at someone on the phone that didn't do anything wrong. Um, what was said to me was because of who your dad is, there's a chance that whoever's on the other end of that phone just lost somebody that they love. And so Mm. like, you cannot, ever make that mistake again Mm. um and i was like like there's a very real like truth to that like i didn't i didn't want to i i knew that when i was angry you know the anger of man does not uh achieve the righteousness of god like it does not happen when like we are not uh able to do that um but um, I remember like just that, like the stress of that all the time in my house, we were supposed to be very quiet, um, because dad could be studying, right. Um, upstairs and he was always studying. Like it was just a thing. So we didn't, I, I can probably count on one hand, the number of uh, sleepovers we had at my house that I had mm. at my house, mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. And it was all because. You're the pastor's kid, right? It was There's all a higher calling here to the church, yeah. and 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 you're supposed to be all these things. And I was, I think, you know, we we my sisters and I have talked about um, pain that we've experienced because because of those different things, and we all we all experienced it very differently. Um, uh, but there's there every I think every one of us can point to something that we're like, yeah, that made us not really enjoy the church very much. Um, and I remember telling my parents, and my kids have said it to me, like I hate going to church. Mm. I I hate it. I don't want to. I don't want to be there. Um, and th- you know, part of it is just the like. Uh, church tends to be like one of those things where, like, when you're trying to get in each other's business about like helping each other in life and everything, you also tend to get in each other's business about things that you really don't need to be in each other's business about. Um. And there is inevitably that like guilt with parents that the way that we, you know, the mistakes of our children are somehow reflected on us. Um, and it can just get real toxic real quick. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but I was also like, I was abused in the church. I was, uh, um, uh, it leveraged in me a, a real narcissistic uh, mindset when it comes to a lot of different things. I was super ugly to some people in the church myself um, and things that I didn't even realize w- were happening or were um, wrong until later on. A lot of it came when I became a parent mm-hmm. and you start to learn how your brokenness can reflect so easily on somebody else and you start to see that in other aspects of your life. But that's also what helped me realize that the, you know, the deacon at the church I had growing up who um, was adamant that I not be able to like, was Mm -hmm. very confrontational with my dad about me not being able to play the drums 
in a service because that's not worship. Mm-hmm. Um, like he, he was a man who was trying to do the right thing. I mean, he's dead wrong. Right. But was very sure that he was doing the right thing. And it's like, yeah, I, I, this, I, I feel like people that talk about, um, especially dad's humility, um, I, f- I feel like there's, that's the, that's the kind of thing that I can point to. Right. He's been in the, like in the room with people who were so convinced that they were right and not just right, but righteous. Yeah, exactly. In what they were doing that, and they were just absolutely wrong. My father was defamed mm-hmm. at a church. He was, he was accused of things. And then when every witness to the fact, like said that it, like the, the, you know, whatever had not happened and was not happening and he was not that man, it didn't matter because this was the way that they were going to um, relieve him of him being at the church. And, you know, doesn't really, it, you know, the ends justify the means. He's not supposed to be the pastor anymore. So let's just call him this. And then that'll make sure that he isn't the pastor anymore. And it's like, you see people being not just like ugly, but wicked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a while that made me not want anything to do with the church. And so that that's like my next question. I don't know if you had one, Chris, mm-hmm. but because you've seen a lot, or honestly, because you've seen a lot of, of that difficulty and, and hurt not only to yourself, but to your family members, to your father, who is a leader of the church, what, what role did that play as you, you know, graduated from high school and then kind of the, your faith really became your own because yeah. you're not, no, you're my, not living under your parents' roof. What did that look like? And this is what I would say um, to, uh, there was the opportunity for my faith to be my own the entire time. My parents made it very clear. Um, you know, we I can talk about the, like, ridiculousness of not being able to be a kid in my own home. But I also knew that following Christ was something that took your entire life was not a Mm -hmm. Sunday thing was not a Wednesday thing. It was all of you all the time. There was no excuse for me not to know that because of the way that both my father and my mother lived. I mean, when my mom got onto me for answering the phone that way, it was like, it's very clear even to a young child or a kid um, that following Christ, thinking of others, you know, uh, Philippians 2, considering others more than yourself, considering others more important than yourself, meant it changed the way you answer the phone. Right, right. Um, and, like, that, that was modeled to me by my parents. So, in a sense, going to college did not, like, because a lot of the... Um, uh, uh, there was a significant pain point right as I was uh, in my freshman year of college um, with the church and and my dad and and that was like that that had the uh, you know the ability to I feel like have wrecked me right to have like meant that I, I'm not going to have anything to do with the church or with God. 
And the I, I think that what the Holy Spirit used to make sure that it was just me being frustrated with the church and not um, with the Christian faith was how this type of hurt had like in my in in my parents life had nothing to do with their faith hmm. that that they that they believed in Christ and that they were following Christ that they were doing what they knew was the right thing to do and it didn't matter how men reacted to it and you got to remember that the church is is men right like we're the bride of Christ is I mean men men and women right and children they 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 are who Christ died for they are not Christ they are able to have the mind of Christ they are uh, participants in the body and blood they are um, all of those things but they're not perfect. They need to be saved in just as much as I do. And like uh, it was it was a long time coming for that lesson to actually get into my mind. But what my yeah. parents taught me in that time was forgiveness. They they made sure that what was really hard for them to forgive, they wanted their kids to be able to forgive too. And so Y'all may know that I, I I end almost every prayer with um, uh, thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Help us to love and to forgive each other. Right. That prayer is born out of I know what the church is. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to pray in front of the church, it's going to be that we love and forgive each other because we we, we need it. Yeah. So here, what what I'm hearing is, despite facing abuse, defamation, wrong accusations, hypocrisy, false righteousness, resentment, I mean, a pretty pretty complete list here. Mm-hmm. You still are not only in the church, but you're also, I mean, you work at a church. You, which means, and you're a worship leader, which means you're going to get probably more complaints than anybody except maybe the guy in charge of the air conditioning. Mm-hmm. You're going to get more people focused on themselves. And so I'm, I'm hearing you say that your example of your parents, the example of other believers who, even though sometimes they were, if, if I could say it this way, part of the problem, meaning they were part of the over-teaching some of this stuff, but their example in life also showed you it was real to them. Yeah, and they I, taught you how to forgive and how to be humble, even in the face of because they were facing the same kind of things you were. Yeah, I would say under teaching. Okay, that there was they they didn't actually teach why we did certain things. Okay, there you um, go. They or or why there was certain expectations of us. Right. Like every once in a while, you would hear like a a short snippet of it. Right. But then you had to like work that back into. Well, that's good. That's good insight. Um, what you were learning. Um. And, and why this was the right thing. Now, I mean, I also got like, a lot of times I heard the sermon before everybody else did because I would go in and just listen to my dad um, while he was preparing the sermon. Um, and there's some really funny stories about that. 
but like, so I, I, I don't, I don't want to pretend like I didn't, I didn't get extra um, to go along with the, the really painful stuff. But all of those things are true. Like all of those things actually happened to me and to us as a family. Mm. Um, I, there was a time when I um, actually had to, when we were talking about forgiveness um, or we, we were in, in college, it came up back to that conversation a lot. I, I could not, um, there was a point where I couldn't, I realized that I couldn't drive by the church um, because we still lived kind of close to it. Um, I couldn't drive by the church without um, literally cursing people in my head. Mm. Um, And I was like, that, I mean, if anything shows unforgiveness, (laughs) that would be it. Um, And I'd, I had to come to grips with like um, inside of that, like unforgiveness, like Jesus isn't, isn't joking around. Right. When he talks about us forgiving other people and, and like that was really hard on me because I was like, I'm not that guy. Like I didn't do what they did. Right. And, and I'm supposed to forgive them because you have forgiven me. Like, in myself, God, that doesn't that doesn't feel right. Right. Um, but I was also pretty self righteous and I was very sure um of of my righteousness and and one of the things that I had to forgive them of is they made me not sure about who my father was. And I was like, at at some point in my college career, I was like, you know what? I live with this man. I talk to this man more than anybody else does. Probably mom is the only one who talks to him more than I do. I know who he is. Somebody who does not live in our house, that does not, and I had to like walk through all of the like, they're just wrong. They think that they're right, but they're just wrong. And right. you're allowed to be wrong. Like you, you've been wrong before. <laughs> many many times right um and they're just very sure that they're right but they're wrong and so if you can't forgive that like that's a really small thing to to forgive in comparison to to what i was making it um because we tend to do that we we build up these charges um and we we do it based on emotion not based on truth so John, how when you're if you're talking to somebody who's had a similar experience as you growing up in the church, um, but maybe they've had a different outcome, like, hey, I've been burned, my family has gone through a lot, and so I'm just gonna I've left. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I'm mm-hmm. I'm not it's like I like that you've done that, but that's that's not for me. The church is not for me because I have seen the, um, the underbelly. What what would your conversation look like with them, and and kind of could you unpack a little bit of what that would look like? I I don't know. Like I think it would be different based on based on the different things um, that that would be involved in that in that their story. Mm-hmm. Um, but like 
the the things that really drove me back into the church was I and I mean drove me back into the church was I I I saw what God had given me as a uh, gift to be able to do um, as something that I didn't have uh, ownership of. I I felt like God was calling me to be a, a music minister. That's what we called them back then. Um, when I was like 15 years old. And I think I, I felt that before that, but like I really thought at 15 that that's what... God was calling me to do. And my dad told me that if I could do anything else, like do it. Like, you know, you know, he wasn't trying to like be whatever. He just, I mean, the, a lot like what your dad said to you, Colson, about being a missionary. Like, yeah. this is not, this is not something that you should do if you don't Yeah, feel the Lord's call, feel the Lord's call on your life. If this is like a, uh, if this is like you want to be a fighter pilot, don't. Um, so uh I felt like at that at that early age that he was preparing me for that and then like things kept happening even after like I felt like I walked away from the church things kept happening that would say like hey you know there, you've got this thing and it wasn't because I could sing really well it wasn't because I was a really good guitar player or anything like that I was actually a drummer at the time um like I just felt like this was something that, that God had put on my heart to be able to do. Um, and I don't know, like I didn't have ownership of that. I couldn't tell him, no, I'm not going to do that. What I told him was, I don't see how you could use me in the church for this. So I'll go to camp and I'll do it at camp. I'll be involved in parachurch stuff because I'm scared of what the church will do to me. If right. I, if I go back into the church. But if somebody's left mm. the faith because of what people have done to them, like I, the that conversation is very different. Because you didn't stop being a part of the church. No, Just, I right. I did, well, I would say I did because okay. because in in my mind I was drawing a line between like, well, this is my personal walk with Jesus, and that yeah. doesn't have anything to do with these other sinners over here, and that's just arrogance. Like you, if you can. If you can say that with a straight face, then you're just not thinking hard enough about it. Like you, yes, we are scared of being hurt by other people. And I don't like, I'm not going to be able to take that away from you. Um, in the sense that like, it's a scary thing to work 50 hours a week trying to make it possible for somebody to come on a Sunday morning and worship God and then to hear from that those people after that Sunday morning that it was just a little too loud. Right. Or I was distracted by this or some or whatever. And it's like, man, that's tough. Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we're all working our butts off here to try to make it possible for you to worship alongside your brother. And then you know, you, then you go to Africa, and it's like, oh, it's really hot, and there, there's a the, yeah. the bathroom is a hole in the dirt outside, and everybody's worshiping like they don't have tomorrow, and like on on these plastic chairs that don't all look the same, 
Right. They were so proud of um, of these uh, uh, cloths, like that they had um, this fabric that they had made for the background, and it was beautiful. Like I, they absolutely should be. But that's what they're like excited about. That's what's like. Look what we have done to make our the room that we worship God in beautiful because he is beautiful. And it's like, so you were distracted by how bright the lights were? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a bunch of babies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to be heartbroken over stuff like that is, is to me, is to me like it's an, it's an inevitability. Mm-hmm. We love each other and we are trying as hard as we can. And, People are going to have bad days and people are going to have good days and people are going to have um, all of these different things that make them human. Yeah. And when we expect, I don't want to say more out of each other than being human, mm-hmm. you're going to be disappointed. Oh, right? yeah. That's that expectation thing. That's Chris. right. That's right. If you, if you're, it's a whole episode, that word right there. <laughs> Just like balance. Mm-hmm. Just like balance. Another word we've got to bleep out. If you, yeah. If if you're coming at the church with with expectations like that, then you you will not be able to celebrate anything at the church. Um, that's just what it is. And yeah. I I again like talking to somebody about leaving the faith in my mind is a different conversation because it's like you you are right. Someone took on the name of Jesus and then hurt you. And, and, and that's the type of thing that like, you know, we have a um, verse for the um, children's ministry. Like if you, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, then it's better if you had a millstone, you know, tied to your neck and then thrown into the river. Mm-hmm. Like, so horrible death is better than, causing someone else to stumble um in their faith i i don't i don't know how to like say more real than that like this is like we take this very seriously right and so we take leading at the church very seriously we don't take ourselves seriously we take leading god's people very seriously and you should and when someone hurts you you should take it more seriously that that's not what we're supposed to do in the church. Mm-hmm. And because you can make someone forget the grace and faithfulness of God because you are not graceful or faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have the ability to teach somebody about the grace and faithfulness of God by being loving and forgiving. And when someone has been hurt to the point where they leave the faith because of what another Christian has done, like I'm, I'm not sure that they left the faith if they actually had it. Um, if they were actually called by God, I don't think that they have left the faith. I think they have numbed themselves. Um, they have put up a wall in front of them. Um, and, by his grace, maybe God is only the only one who can break down that wall. And I don't know what he's going to take to do that. But it's never, like in my opinion, it's never my, um, it's never my like goal to um, uh, to 
to break down that wall for them. It's my goal to make it possible for them to see that they don't need the wall. Like I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to be safe around you. I'm going to try to um, let you know that when I fail, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. When I make mistakes, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And when other people fail around me, I'm going to forgive them. And that's like, that's, that's the type of safety that I feel like we can be for each other in the church that we can really say, like, Chris calls us a dysfunctional family at South Spring. I think being able to say stuff like that just helps people know that we, our expectation is that you fail. Mm. Our expectation is that this gets messy, that we say things that are um, sometimes not thoughtful to each other because we didn't think and that we mess up and that we um, choose the wrong thing and that we are going to ask each other for forgiveness. Mm. Right. And we are going to give forgiveness to each other. And that's a very serious thing in my mind. Yeah. It's really good. Goodness. was awesome hearing from John Redfern. What were some key takeaways and thoughts that you had coming from that conversation, guys? Well, what, one of the reasons I wanted John to be able to come in, so I, when, I, when I talk about kind of who we are and how we make decisions, I'll often use a train, a series of train cars to talk about that. Like, what is the engine? What's pulling the rest of who you are behind? And then, right. So where does your faith go? Where does your intellect go? Where do your emotions go, et cetera? And so my tendency is is when I'm when my faith if I if I replace the faith engine with something else it's going to be intellect. Yeah. Um when John replaces the faith engine it's going to be with emotions. And and so knowing there's probably people out there who are hearing a podcast and and I want them to be able to connect with okay so you know when when I describe I can be hurt by people in the church and not walk away from the church and certainly not walk away from Christ. It probably sounds pretty cold almost the way I describe yeah. it. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. people, you know, yeah. like yeah. it's not that I'm not hurt deeply by it, but I don't feel it to the same degree. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think it might be helpful for someone to hear someone like John who, who has felt it deeply, the hurt and the pain and watched his parents struggle and suffer and cry and kind of, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth, so to speak. And, and to see that that's, he still is able to engage with and, and reconnect with the church and with his faith in, in the deconstruction, what he ends up deconstructing is people, not Christ. That's a good way to put it. And, and I think it's important when people, when we run, cause we're going to run into hypocrites and we are going to hurt by people, be hurt by people in the name of everybody and and that's just how that works. I mean, that's what people are like. Yep. So, anyway, part of that too, I think, is when you when you do a lot of self reflection or or know your weaknesses or know where your flaws are, 
I just think of the the people that were drawn to Jesus versus the people that rejected him. Yeah. And the people that were repulsed by him or rejected him were the self-righteous because they didn't see their own right. problems, and all they saw was the flaws in other people. But it was the so-called sinners, right, tax collectors and prostitutes and outcasts, that they were the ones that were flocking to Jesus right. because they knew they were broken. Right. Like they had no pretense like that I'm... That I'm great. And so I think even what John was expressing there was the self-awareness of, I have bad days. I make mistakes. Right. I'm definitely not always under control or have my temper or whatever, which allows you to be gracious towards other people <clears throat> when you see yourself that way. But if you're raised to think, especially at church, this is how we're supposed to look, then it's way more offensive when you you know, don't when you're wearing shorts or running in the halls um, because you think that that's everything is all about how we look on the outside versus, man, I'm, right. I'm just so glad that we're, you know, and the two forgiven. Men, we have these two examples with Jesus of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who were, mm-hmm. you know, Pharisees or me, at least members of the religious council. And, and what made them special was they knew they needed help. Mm-hmm. I, I liked that John, I, I thought that was one of the interesting things was this idea that John kind of recognized, he's describing, that we recognize in ourselves the people who hurt us. Mm. That, we're, that we think, yeah, they hurt me today and I hurt somebody else last week. Right. And, and, and the fact that we think we're right too, even righteous. Sometimes in the way we judge other people and the way they think they're right and righteous, we're still there. And what a great reminder that that a unifying trait of following Christ is humility yeah. and that and that for us to be able to recognize yeah I'm I'm the I am the hurt and I am the hurter I, I am the abused and the abuser and that is a to recognize that in ourselves and that that's a um, I'm going to be teaching at the school up in Montana mm-hmm. through Romans uh, I pointed at Chris shared because he's the one who sent me there but um and just the way that Romans plays that out, this whole, you know, chapter one and two and part of the way through three, you're going, yeah, those awful people, mm-hmm. those are some awful people out there, man. Those mm-hmm. worldly people, they're they're pretty rotten and wicked. And then Paul drops the, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God bomb on us to recognize, man, that's, that is us too. I mean, that's, it's not even, I, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even love that. I like that phrase. I'm like, no, that's me. I mean, I, I know what people mean when they say that. Also, like that he had an example to look to. Who, John? Uh, yeah, John did that. That that in the you know he didn't hyper intellectualize it. Like I probably would have answered some of those questions with, well, I mean people, but but instead to say I watched my parents face these pains as well, and and not walk away, and stay strong. That's that's, a, that's huge. Yeah, and I think we might have said this in here before, but what kids want from their parents more than anything is just realness. Like they, I don't think they expect perfection. They just want to know, is this thing real? Like this Jesus thing we do, is it, you know, does it actually impact the way you act at home or what we choose to spend money on or things like that? Real quick, before I forget, I'm going to butcher the, the paraphrase, but what you were saying about knowing yourself, Charles Spurgeon had some phrase, uh, it said something like, when people slander you or say things about you that aren't true, uh, basically 
don't worry about it. You're way worse than they know. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, yeah, they're, that's what they're saying. That one part might not be true, but they don't know the half of it. Like, who did you say? Did you say it said was it? Charles Spurgeon? Spurgeon. He said something like that. That you're you're worse than they know. But yeah, that'd be a great thing to find. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think is so the true. what do you think is the root of even um, that person saying to John, "You should know better"? Like, are they expecting like he has some special instruction? Because you're obviously lead pastor. Yeah. Do they? Do they? People think you're supposed to be also be sitting your kids down and saying, "Now listen, because of my role, you need to make sure that these additional rules apply to you." Or mm. what? What's what's your Man, the tension that you live the in. The tension, yes. Between we want to set a good example, right? But then we're not going to be a perfect example. Okay, so here's the. I, I want us to. I'm. I'm going to put some things into words that I might not have ever put into words before. So this would be good for me to let my kids and <laughs> wife here. But I want us to be a great example of people who aren't perfect. Okay, that's and so really that's good. the way I would say it. Is, I like that. Is we were early on. So Ginger, my my wife, has a gift. She's a gifted hospitality type person. I mean, she loves filling up the house with people and and all that stuff. And and so um, for the first few, I guess, the first few years of our marriage, and maybe, but I think I think by the time we got to to here at the church, she'd already broken this. Probably while we were at Pine Cove, this broke. Uh, is that is that she would get the house perfect when anybody, anytime somebody was coming. Right. And and then there was an event that happened, and I don't remember the details of it, and I may even be making an apocryphal story out of a bunch of stuff, but is that there was some young mom who came over, and and we had not cleaned the house. I mean, it was tidied, mm-hmm. maybe. But, I mean, we're, we were, we're the family who, when we said, okay, kids, it's time to clean the house, they would go, oh, who's coming over? I mean, it was a, <laughs> like, it was a hundred percent consistency and they right. knew that. Oh, somebody's coming over. Who's coming over? We're having a party. Like, and so for my kids, cleaning the house was good news. Oh, fun people. And so, um, but that someone came over, a young mom came over and there was a big old, I just remember that there was a huge pile of laundry on the couch and, and like the, the emotional response of this young mom coming in who had this incredible amount of respect for Ginger and saw her as super mom and, you know, she can do all things and and she comes in and sees this huge pile of laundry and dishes in the sink and just like the the level of emotional relief that the woman could express to my wife mm-hmm. um apparently at some point my wife actually told somebody that there are now times that she intentionally leaves things out for young mothers mm. that she intentionally doesn't straight something up mm. because she wants the moms to come in and see like that she realized the damage she was doing by portraying a perfect house. Yep. Yeah. Um, we had a couple, what was it? Uh, I'm not going to drop a name here, although they'd appreciate it, but who hosted a Christmas party one time at uh, out at Pine Cove, and, and they wanted to play this game where they had hidden the names of Christmas songs around their house, and you were supposed to go find them based on hints. And, and it was clearly, like, we were like, and we would never, ever do that. Like, we cannot send people throughout our house. I mean, that's just not. And we, I went, we go from room to room, and I'm going from room to room, running all around the house. I'm like, their house is perfect. They have like seven kids. It's perfect. And what is going on? Like, how did they? It's ridiculous. And and for some reason, I there was a hint that I thought led me to a closet in the master bedroom. And I open up, I've just opened up the closet. I'm like, surely it doesn't. But it seems to me like it's saying. And so I open it up, and it is 
kid you not, chest deep with just stuff from clearly from all over the house, like yeah. the whole house. And I mean, I couldn't have gone in if I'd wanted to. I could have gotten law. I mean, it was Ugh. chest deep with just stuff from, I was like, oh, that's how they did it. Yeah. <laughs> like they just need like a flush at the end of their day for that closet. But I think we create, if we're not careful, we, and I use that term scrubbed pink, mm-hmm. that on, on your best behavior, you know, whatever. And I, I, I hate the term scrubbed pink because it also implies white, but the, on yeah. top of everything else, like, listen, you got to be in your best behavior. Everything's got to be good. Um, and you know, we fought on the way to church, mostly about smacking our kids around to get them ready for church and make sure they're our best of the behavior dressed right. And they're not messing with their tie. And I mean, all the things I hated about church as a kid. Yeah. And, um, and man, I just think it's a mistake. Now there is a tension. There is a tension. How do we, because how do we say casual without flipping? Right. Because the expression I had mentioned earlier was people saying, "Don't you know where you are?" Right. If you're at church, and when I was a youth pastor, I remember students in front of me saying something like, "Don't say that at church," or "You can't say that in front of the youth pastor." Right. Which implies that there's something special here that you've got to be not yourself. Right. I remember the first time I went to some birthday party, and I kind of got invited last minute. It was an official church thing. And I showed up, and I was actually really bummed because a lot of the girls in my youth group were there, not thinking this is a church event. And how they were dressed, I was like, oh, bummer. This mm. must be how they dress all the time because I only see them at church. Right. But to realize that's that's really what you, who you are when you're not at church is supposed to be still the you. But So what's the tension of we're at a special place in the sense that all of us are together as believers, but we're not... Yeah. Know. What do you think? I, I actually, I think it's, uh, my personal opinion is it's the opposite. Okay. That if there is a place to let your hair down, it's here at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather people be, quote, on their best behavior at the restaurant. Yeah. Um, when they're around unbelievers. Now, that's not meant to create a false picture. It's right. just, I think, I think it's that much more important that we are gentle and kind and generous. And, you know, if we're having to spend energy to make those character decisions outside of the norm. As much as that's called for in the church, we can more easily forgive each other for being flawed here. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when we're talking about just failing, just I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm worn out. I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious. Like this is the place where those frailties, human frailties should be most invited. Um, even when they're not any fun, even when they're, that's hard to deal with. And so, that being said, one of the things we do want to do here is create a place where people can be um, safe, focused to worship. Mm-hmm. And so distractions is kind of the one thing that we that we always come back to is saying, is, uh-huh. is it a distraction? And if it's a distraction, how do we deal with it? Now, my kids, for example, they know they need to behave at church exactly like they're supposed to behave at school or home or, or wherever else. Like that's um, I still, it's it's my hope that they will be children and know that they're free to be children here and that they can be children. And and the last thing I want is for them to link coming to church to me being harder on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyway, I, I want a church full of grandparents and friends for my children, not a church of, you know, I don't know, people carrying around rulers to slap them on the hand with it. Like yeah. that's, that's not their job. So, yeah, I would, a great example would be what John shared with us. How cool if a, some adult had sat down with John and said, hey, 
Buddy, I know I know you don't realize this, but when you run down the hall like that, it's really scary for the old people in the mm-hmm. church because they think you're going to run into them. And I know you're quick, and I know how fast you are, and I know you'll probably never run into one of them. Um, but man, they feel that. And so, if you could be more careful and walk down this hallway, it would help them feel better about being here at church. Now he's a kid. Is that going to make him not do it? But no, but probably not. He still would do it sometimes. But you could come back and say, hey, man, remember when I shared this with you? Could you? Could we work on that? Could you walk with me? Hey, let's talk about some speed. Like, I just feel like, I feel like so often, and that happens here at this church. People sit down with my kids, and I, I encourage that to say, and, and explain to them, here's why we do it this way, and here's what we're doing. And if they don't, I do. Um, but how different his memory would have been. <clears throat> oh, yeah. It would have been like, even though I didn't follow this, I remember people yeah. lovingly explaining yes. to me why we do these things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think as often as you can when your kids are older too, old enough to handle it, explain those kinds yeah. of things. Like this is why there's hot people with hot coffee yeah. and you're running around. Yeah. Like it makes right. older people nervous or it's And little yeah. kids, you can tell them this is there's a reason why we don't do that. Well, there's a time and place for running around and this isn't it. And there's even a time and place for running around in this hallway mm-hmm. and this isn't it. Right. Like there's nothing sacred inherently about this hallway. Apparently, you play football on it as yeah. long as... A hundred yards, <laughs> yes. I can't wait to see this thing. Um, but that's why when I pick my kids up from Sunday school or from even the babysitter, when I go, um, all right, how'd everything go? And they're like, oh, oh, fine. I'm like, okay, no, really. Yeah, exactly. Can you, I want you to be honest. And then sometimes they're nice enough to go, well... <laughs> We struggled a little bit today yeah. with it. I'm like, okay, keep going. Like, give yeah, me exactly. an example. I want to know. Like, don't just brush it off and yeah. act like my kids yes. are perfect. I want to know. That allows you to appreciate the teacher or leader who just served right. and put right. up with our bratty kids. Right. And and it also, yeah. So, so how how was he today? Like, he was great. Like, no, he no, he wasn't. Like, I got. <laughs> listen, he's my kid. I I know what stage he's in right now. Right. There is no way he went an hour. Great. I don't, I don't buy it. It's not possible. Um, and so, um, even though he is a great kid, that doesn't mean he behaves. <laughs> and in a if great he did, way. do you, do yeah, you need to adopt him yeah, or something? Exactly. Like you're there, doing something what's right. Your hourly rate? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. If, um, have you seen Tim Hawkins comedy about this in church? Like the kids, like uh, the, the excuses parents make. No. Like he was, how was, how was Jimmy's time? Well, I mean, he stabbed me in the thigh with a pair of scissors. And the parent's like, yeah, well, he has allergies. <laughs> like, no, we, again, this goes back to, we know our kids are, yeah. are they're, they're kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of our teaching and our kids need to know, yes, you're required to be respectful here, just like everywhere else. Mm-hmm. You're required to follow mm-hmm. instructions here, just like everywhere else. You're required. And the other thing you do here is you have the opportunity to worship in a community. And, mm-hmm. and and what we don't allow is for you to distract other people from doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit different, but it's not different. I mean, it's not different than the movies. Right. We don't let people distract people from the experience there either. I mean, if my kid's shouting in the movie theater, I either take them out or outside and we talk about it or whatever. But but we don't, it, I don't, I don't think there's anything that that should make this place the, it's the one place where a, a kid knows, well, the one thing I can't be here as a kid. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and where I'm being judged harshly constantly, we say on on uh, on all of our uh, um, devoted Sundays, um, we we almost always comment on the whole. 
hey, listen, if you're one of those people who's, there's a kid making noise in the church, if somebody's kid is making noise in the church and you're tempted to cut your eyes over at that mom, you're the one with the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we're happy that we have children in the church and we're excited that they sometimes act like kids and that they make noise. We had a kid, I don't know if y'all saw him Sunday morning, crawling down the middle aisle. His dad was trying to get him to walk and he, <laughs> he's like he's like nine. It wasn't like a two-year-old. Oh. And he's decided he's going to crawl. And the, the poor dad, of course, in front of everybody, has very limited discipline options in the yes. middle of a church service um, trying to get their son to walk rather than crawl. And I'm, I'm like, that's w- welcome to humans. Right? Yes. Welcome to families. So anyway, speaking of families, can we take a minute and at least start the conversation for people that we promised yeah. how to talk with families about tough Right. And I think this ties in because oh, it certainly yeah, we're, you know, we're going to have – I think the conversation was born out of, hey, people listening to the podcast, really anyone going home, you're going to interact with people. Some, you know, some people have really strong faith foundations in their families. Right. Other people don't. And so you're going to have these conversations that you might not know how to navigate or might have been hostile in the past or people who have made decisions about their faith or about deconstructing their faith over the past year since you've seen them, since you spent time with them. And so... I would love to get your take on, hey, here are some ways that you can engage with your loved ones, with people you're close with who have gone through these things and have made these decisions or have claimed these beliefs. I really like, if I could read from Colossians 4, just the general reminder uh, in verses 5 and 6, it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Some versions say making the most of every opportunity Mm. or redeem the time. Let your speech be always gracious, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So a few things that come to my mind there is you've got to be, it says be wise in how you interact with these people. So you're praying for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom on what to say, what not to say. And then it just says make the best use of the time. So again, this is one of those if it's once a year or every few times a year you're with your family all together, how are you going to make the best use of that time of those conversations? And then it says, so while you're doing this, it, your converse, conversation should be full of grace or gracious words. And so I think of that's me always remembering, you know, how God treats me and how amazing it is that God has rescued me and the grace that was shown to me that I need to show to other people. And then season with salt, and there's different applications of salt. Right. Um, it can sting a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, it, but can, it can cleanse. It can, it can cleanse. It can create thirst. Mm-hmm. Uh, it adds flavor. It's a preserver. There's a lot of different applications from that. But I think where it says in the end there so that you 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 know how you ought to answer each person, which is a reminder that, it's in you see, you're seeing people as individuals mm-hmm. and, and where they're at. So that was my general reminder. Yeah. Going yeah. into the, the holiday conversations. Yeah. That's great. That's it's it's very good to remember when you're <coughs> that that these are conversations we want to go well. Mm-hmm. And the old um adage, John Maxwell's I I'm sure he didn't say it first, but usually gets given credit for it that people won't care what you know until right. they know that you care. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I tell people all the time about that. I've only ever won a theological argument once, meaning I had the person a hundred percent convert from one perspective to my perspective. 
And it was my grandmother at Thanksgiving dinner. So the woman, she had grown up all her life with this idea that your salvation is something you can lose. That was the version of Christianity she'd been raised in. And it was all, I mean, she had dozens of pastors, two or three churches she'd gone to during her lifetime. And, and that was clearly, I mean, she believed that firmly. And I said, you know what, um, Grandma, I've been, I've been studying this for a little while now, and I, I really think that's not right. I really think that our salvation is secure in Christ, like Christ doesn't lose anyone who he captures. Anyone he gets, he doesn't drop anyone. Uh-huh. And she says, you know, I think you're right. I think that's right. I like that. I think, I think that's right. Now, here's what happens psychologically. Psychologically, my grandmother had to decide in that moment whether her favorite grandson was wrong or the dozens of professional Christians at the time who had told her the opposite, if they were wrong. Yeah. Well, my grandmother was not willing to believe that her favorite grandson was wrong. So my theological argument powers uh, have only ever been truly powerful that one time, (laughs) which I think had very little to do with my (laughs) argument powers and more to do with the fact that this was my grandmother who yeah. was not willing for me to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think it shows when we're having those conversations, investing in the relationship, loving the person well, listening to them. Um, a lot of times when people panic about these, and as a counselor, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, we have people who, I have people who come to counseling about this time of the year purely to strategize Christmas Day. Wow. Or purely to strategize Thanksgiving dinner with their family. Like that's why they come and they say, "Okay, I want to talk through with you how Thanksgiving is going to go." And, and is that is that primarily just like how do I interact with people, yeah. or is it just kind of because it's all kinds of things? I mean, their abuser may be sitting at that table, or oh. um, or uh, someone who has a very very different political view than they do, and who is pretty pretty fundamentally, you know, pretty strong about it, um, yeah. uh, pretty raging one way or another, and so. And, and how to draw healthy boundaries with them, how to how far to take the conversation and when to stop. And so we have those. But I think when we're talking about faith, there I mean, there's eternity can be on the line here in some of these conversations. And so we want to have them. We just want to set them up for as much success as we possibly can. And I, I really like the term navigation. Uh-huh. I think in terms of having a conversation like this with somebody, we think of it, um, I know you've done whitewater type rafting and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Have you done that kind of stuff, Colson? I've done some sailing. Sailing. There you go. <laughs> that the going going downstream in a canoe or in a you know a, a big boat or something, it is all about, you know, looking for the safe water and avoiding the dangerous water and avoiding the big rocks and the big logs and that kind of stuff. And and I think very often we can think of our conversations with somebody, especially as a if the, as a non believer or someone who's deconstructed their faith in the same way. Um they're going to naturally pull you towards things that are not going to accomplish anything. You're not going to get anywhere with them. And if they want to talk about it, they can, you can talk with them about it. But mostly in those situations, you just want to listen to what they have to say. They've had this bad experience. They've had this, this experience. They've had this amazing insight. They've read this you know, phenomenal book that no one has any answers to or whatever. Um, and I'm saying that sarcastically. Right. Because that's not the case. But I think I think sometimes that's really powerful when we can listen well, ask good questions, let them know we're interested, we want to understand before we ever respond. Um, again, to quote another um, wise statement, uh, I guess Covey gets a credit for this one, although I'm sure he didn't say this either, but 
it's important that we seek to understand before we seek to be understood. And, um, and so anyway, I just, I think understanding that coming in that, that not everything is riding on every conversation. It's okay to draw boundaries. And, um, the, the main mistake we make is we don't listen enough. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I'm a big, big fan of those as we think about it. Okay. That's big. Yeah. Thank I you. Think showing grace too, because mm-hmm. <clears throat> there, there might be a, a prodigal child who's home only for the holidays or whatever it is. And this is your one time together. But mm-hmm. I think it's helpful. Even the, your conversation being full of grace yep. is for me to remember, first of all, lost people are acting like lost people because they're lost people. Right. right. And where would I be? Like, what would be my um, soapbox? What would be my view of this issue? What would be my pet sin? Whatever it is, what, where would I be if I didn't have a new heart? Like, what would I be looking to for identity, Yeah. Um, for love, for acceptance, for affirmation? Where would I be? be, you know, drawing the line in the sand or digging my heels in if God hadn't softened my heart, all those yeah. things. So, and, and again, it, it doesn't excuse anything, but it explains everything. Yeah. You just go, yeah, well, it's it's a lot, it's it's a heart issue. That's mm-hmm. the heart of the problem. So I think for me, what I've found is if it kind of depends on the context of, are they in my home? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times this has just happened because I've been either the Bible teacher or the pastor or the whatever, I get asked to pray. Yes. <clears throat> and so to even... You're a professional. Exactly. Right. I'm a professional prayer. And so I even... Might, I have a question for that too. Afterward, okay. do people say, that hey, was a that was a great prayer. That was a great, great prayer. Great job. I love it. Sometimes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That always cracks me up. Anyway, keep going. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. No, but I, so I think that you can, in your prayer not be generic as far as like, you know, just being really vague, not, not to use it as an excuse to preach a sermon, but you can, God, please save Glenn. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But you can outline the gospel in your, in your prayer. Thank you that you sent your son to live the life I should have lived and die the death I should have died. Like that's the gospel. But so you can do that in your prayer. Um, I think even during the holidays, if people are sharing, you can get excited about, here's what we've been doing, or here's what we do for Christmas, or there's nothing weird or wrong about uh-huh. that to say, and we are so excited, so we've got this Advent calendar where every day we read a verse, and because <laughs> it's all about Jesus. And yeah. it, and again, there there might be some awkwardness to that, but a lot of times it's because I'm making it awkward. Right. I'm, I'm the one who's embarrassed, right. or the, it's the fear of what are they going to think of me, Yeah. versus... And again, we always think of the na- the worst that can happen. Right, worst They're going to laugh at me. They're going to put me down versus they might go, wow, I never thought about that. So you celebrate Christmas because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I never think, a lot yeah. of times I don't think of the the positive side. And that's, yeah. again, just the fear of man. Yeah, yeah. that's that's interesting. And another, another thing, and I don't know how you guys would address this. Maggie and I were talking a lot about an immaturity with both of us feeling that we are the ones I was like, okay, here's my opportunity to change this person mm-hmm. um, rather than, okay, God is the only one that can change their heart. And so right. what, what can we do? How much time are we spending praying for these people? You know, rather than just trying to figure out, okay, when we're together, this is what I can say to, you know, get X or Y or something yeah. like that. And so mm-hmm. I, I know that there are, yeah, there are definitely like we 
we want to be faithful with the truth, but we don't, you know, we want to share the truth in love. Yeah. And we want to be gracious, like you were talking about, and and listen, because that's huge. It's like, because like, in those moments, I, we realize, like, oh, all we're wanting to do is talk um, and not seek to understand. Yeah. And I think being, <clears throat> being faithful, <clears throat> excuse me, means I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be real in the uh-huh. sense of I love you and I'm praying for you. And so it's not weird, hopefully, for me to say sometime during the conversation or weekend or, or by the end of the day, so how can I be praying for you? And rarely, because Katie and I have done that in restaurants where we uh-huh. ask the waiter or waitress, mm-hmm. that, and we've never had anyone say, I don't believe in God <laughs> or don't pray for me. Right. It's uh, it's just one of those, yeah, well, what you know, and so even if it just shows them I care enough about you and this is a big enough part of my life that I want to include that. And I and so they might not have ever thought about, wow, you, you mm-hmm. pray, he prays for me. Yeah, that's great. And Very then cool. also the last thing is you were just talking about it, within the holidays, there's already so much that is pointing to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so there can be easy ways of talking about Advent or talking about what you're... What you're thankful for. Yeah, things like that that can easily point people to the gospel. Well, we hope this has been encouraging to you. Mm -hmm. Um, We hope that you are not afraid of the holiday time, um, but that you will lean in to, to your relationship with the Lord and trust His wisdom as He's working in you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.